Hey, good morning, Grace. You ready to dig into God's Word together? I hope so. Rod and Julie, thank you for your work to get God's Word in the hands of people who don't. Can you imagine being uh, around the world today and seeing what's happening in the world, not having God's Word, not having the Scriptures to tell you how it ends? I mean, I I cannot imagine that. There's so much turmoil and, and there's so much unrest and, and people um, are hungry for something and to not, to not have this. And, and that's an amazing work. So I, I pray for you. I thank you. I uh, just praise God for that work. We are, I'm, I'm going to pray and then we'll dive in. We've just got a little bit of time here this morning. And uh, I want to make sure that um, I'm a good guest. I think I was a little bit long in the first service. So, um, uh, you know, the guys were very gracious. But anyway, we're going to jump right in. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. It's life-changing. Speak to us here, Lord, this morning, because your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, um, there's a story about Philip and an Ethiopian and who happened to be a eunuch. I'll get into that in just a little bit. But I, I want to ask you, first of all, anybody have trust issues here? Anybody have trust issues, uh, or can people just ask you to do things and you just do them because you, you're just basically a trusting person? I think all of us have a little bit of trust issues, right? I, I do know that my, my daughter, certainly when she was eight, she's now an adult, married to a godly man. They have a couple of little tiny children. They're in their late 20s. And uh, she, when she was eight years old, she had serious trust, trust issues. We were getting ready to move. You know, pastors move occasionally. We were getting ready to move, and we had a little family meeting, and it was time for us to move as a pastor family to another location, another church. And uh, she said, Dad, I'm not going. And, and I'm like, well, you're eight. You really kind of have to go. You don't get to make that call on your own. And she said, no, you don't get it. I'm not going. I said, well, um, and everybody else had moved on, and it's just me and her there, little tiny girl looking up at her dad, and, and I'm like, well, you got to go, and it would be kind of illegal to leave you behind. We can't do that. It would not be right. So she said, Dad, you don't understand. I have friends. You don't have any friends, she said to me. She was kind of right. I, I really didn't have like deep friendships. I didn't have guys over, you know, like football night or whatever. Uh, and, and she was just kind of assessing the situation like, you just don't get it. I've got friends. You don't have any friends. And I said, okay, what can I do to make it right for you? How can I make this? You've got to go with us. There is no choice. And she said, when we get to our new city, new neighborhood, you need to go door to door, knock on every single door and find me a friend. And I'm like, you know, uh, we raised our girls to um, have a really strong no and a really strong, because in this world, you kind of need a really strong no as a young lady. And she used it against me so many times. But anyway, she's uh, awesome. But I'd raise her the same way again. But she, um, she I said, I'm not going to do that. There's so many things wrong with me doing that door to door. So would you go with me? So she actually went with me. And we knocked on every door in our new neighborhood and we asked, do you have any, you know, my daughter's like eight and she needs a friend. We just moved here. And we found one friend in that whole neighborhood who became a real friend. And, and, and immediately her thoughts shifted to, this is a good place. And, and, and then down the road, and she would look back at that and say, Dad, God moved me there. 
That was God's hand. As an adult, she would look back and say, that was my favorite place to live. And we know that God brought people into her life, and there were friendships, and there were times that she grew as a young lady in Christ. And, and we seriously have trust issues. But I want, I want to just kind of hit one that is a little tougher for us. We have trust issues when God is asking us to do something. When he's laying it out in front of us in Acts chapter 8, Philip is on a mission. He's preaching the gospel in Samaria, and he proclaimed the gospel in verse 5, proclaimed the the Messiah, and it's all about Jesus Christ. And Philip brings with him compassion. And by the way, if you don't bring compassion with the gospel, you have not brought the gospel. He brings compassion for the vulnerable, verses 6 and 7. And in verse 8, this should be true of every place where there is a gospel-centered church. It says in verse 8, there was joy in that city. Do you know when the gospel is preached right, when the gospel makes a difference in your life, your friends, it's good news that you, knew, you move into next, next door to somebody. That's good news for them. And if it isn't good news that they're your neighbors and you're not good news to them, then we're not bringing the gospel everywhere we go. And, and Philip, Philip understood this. The message of the gospel plus care for people should result in joy in our cities. Do you realize that, that when a church gets on fire for Christ, and I've seen this room um, at, at uh, pretty full twice this morning. There are a lot of people who can go out into this community and make a difference for Christ. Do you realize that if you do that, one of you and then another and then another, and you've already been doing much of that, but if you do that more and more, do you realize that everything can change in a community? That everything is impacted. Marriages are impacted. Families are impacted. Do you realize that where there are communities that have strong Bible teaching churches and people are on fire for the gospel, do you realize that abuse numbers even drop in those communities? You know, everything can be impacted. And, I, and I, that's why this is so essential. And Grace Church, off the record, I know the video is still running. It's not really off the record. you you got to get this next season right. You have to. There's no other choice. You've got to get this next season right. You've been a faithful witness for the gospel in this community. And, and, and next, as you step forward, this next season is imperative that you're on fire together, that you're asking God to do an amazing work in this community. God, as you have done before, do it again. Show up again as only you can. I love verse 25. Before we get into the, the outline, verse 25 in Acts 8. So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. I want you to notice when you read through the Bible how normal it is to preach the gospel. And you don't have to be a pastor to do it. How normal it is to share the gospel. How normal it is to be a man or a woman. I don't care what your age is. It's irrelevant to God. If you know Christ as Savior and Lord, you're a messenger for the gospel. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant how old you are. I don't care if you have just come to a saving faith in Christ or you've walked with him 50 years. You need to live it out, share the gospel. And if you don't know Christ here this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray that this morning you understand the kindness of God in drawing you to himself and saying to you, there's a place that you can belong in God's eternal family, that you matter 
And because you matter to God, you matter to us, you matter to everybody who knows Christ in this room, and we're glad you're here. So living in the flow of the gospel, what does it mean? The first thing it means is to make room for God's interruptions. Interruptions are, who, who loves to be interrupted? Anybody? Some of you with ADD, you just plain interrupt everything, and, and everybody can interrupt you because you're interruptible. And, and I understand because that's me. I'm, I'm kind of there. Make room for God's interruptions. Look at verse uh, 26 in our text, Acts chapter 8. Get your Bibles open, smartphone, I don't care what you use, but make sure you're in God's Word because um, this is the life-changing Word of God. You heard how many people around the world don't have this. What a blessing for us to be able to have this. And so it says in Acts 8, uh, 26 to 29, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I love how, and, and then now we're shown that it's a desert road. This is a desert road. Any of you ever felt like God brought you on a desert road? You ever felt like um, this is not where I want to be? You ever been in a place like that? And you're like, I don't want to be here. It's not, it's just not for me. And yet I know God sent me here and he's asking me to do this. Do you know what we do when God wants to send us to a place we don't want to go? We say, God, I'll pray about it. And you know what? Philip didn't do that. Philip just did it. He obeyed. I think the one thing we can't do when we know that God's called us to something, the one thing we can't do is say, Lord, I'll, I'll just pray about it. Because we don't pray about something that we know we have to be absolutely obedient about. Does that make sense? You can pray about, oh, Lord, protect me on that. When I, when I step in faith here, I need you, Lord, because I'm not ready for this. That's fine. But when we say, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try to consider it. No. When, if he's Lord, the only thing you cannot say to one who is Lord is, no, or just wait. What we say to our Lord of lords and King of kings is, I'll do whatever you call me to do. And Philip, it says in verse 27, he got up and he went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on the way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. And the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. I love that. The Holy Spirit tells Philip, go and join that chariot. Um, you know what? Uh, the Holy Spirit leads us. And, and anybody ever had uh, just a direct, you know, direct leading or even maybe an angel appear to you and tell you what to do? You know, the only angel I've ever seen is my wife. But I'll tell you what, um, I just uh, know that God's at work in powerful ways, and, and you're not alone as you step in obedience. Look what it says in Hebrews 1.14. Are not angels ministering spirits sent to those to serve who will inherit salvation? Do you realize if you're a follower of Jesus Christ that there are angels that are ministering to you, that are caring for you? As you take steps of faith, as you, as you walk with your Lord into difficult circumstances, you're not alone. In Hebrews 13, too, angels are mentioned. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. And what I, what I love about this is the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, 
And you can be assured that there are times in your life that you are protected, that those um, angels who are ministering spirits of our God are with you in the most difficult circumstances you will walk into. Don't forget to show hospitality, it says in Hebrews 13, because you never know, that might be an angel. You don't even know it. When I was uh, in northwest Iowa, I do a lot of traveling. We have four states I serve. Uh, we have 135 churches. I'm, I'm, my wife and I, Tracy, are just two hours from home today. We praise God for that. Thank you for being only two hours away um, after this um, short drive uh, home. It's usually much longer. But I was traveling in northwest Iowa, and um, I was in a, a restaurant. It was during the pandemic. I'm sure none of you remember the pandemic time. I'm sure that that's a time that you've kind of blocked out. Uh, you just don't remember it. I was in a restaurant, and I was ordering because I was going to pick up food for a pastor in the area. And um, I ordered at the counter, and about, um, uh, they said, 20 minutes, wait. You know, you know, back in the day where you had somebody at a table, and then an empty table, and then another table full of people, and then an empty table, you know those days? In restaurants, you couldn't even sit at every table, and it was kind of illegal to talk to people. Do you remember that time? Um, and he said, 20 minutes it'll be for the food to be ready. And so I just started doing email or whatever. I'm kind of leaning against the wall and waiting. And I heard a voice off to my right, and it was a man's voice. And, and that person said, come and sit with me. And I didn't even look up. I just said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. And, and yeah, I know, you can, you can say, what a jerk, because I, I kind of was a jerk. I, I was like, well, who does that right now? I mean, nobody talks to anybody right now, right? We're all kind of in this stay away from people we don't know. And I've got, you know, I've got stuff to do. I was being very selfish. And about a minute later, about a minute later, the same voice, same guy said, I only asked you to come and sit with me because I was lonely. I'm like, yeah, I felt horrible. And, and I, not only was I a jerk, but I now had hurt his feelings and then I looked at him and I said, can I still come and sit with you? And he said, yeah. I mean, graciously, who would do that? I've been a jerk to him. He's like, yeah, still come and sit with me. I found out his name was Jerry. He comes into town once a week. And he said, the pandemic this time has just been killing me because I, I've never been married. I have no children. I've farmed for decades and I'm retired and, and I just, I live alone and there's just nobody for me to talk to. I'm fully alone. And I spent the next half hour talking to a man that I was really blessed to get to know. He was a, a believer. You know what I realized that day was God was calling me to encourage him. But instead, what happened was, maybe I hope, hope our conversation was encouraging, but what happened was God just spoke to my heart and said, Mike, you got to you got to stop being so selfish with your time. And you need to be obedient. When I ask you to do something, you need to do it. Now, I want you to know, and you may not understand this, but as a married man, if that was a woman who said, come and sit with me, and my wife wasn't with me, I would not have uh, sat down. I would have maybe said hello and, and whatnot. But it's a little different. Here was a situation where this man just needed someone to come alongside and to just minister to him and be there with him. You know when, when God's calling you to do something, you and I need to be obedient. An angel appears to Philip, gives him an unexplained command to go south, take the road to Gaza. And you know what? He just acts in obedience. 
Boy, it's a... I I think of the interruptions that you and I have in life that we need to be aware of. Second thing I want you to know is listen to the questions of other people. Be open to their interruptions because they're God's interruptions, but listen to the questions of other people. Look at verse uh, 30 and 31 of Acts chapter 8. When Philip ran to it, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? Now, that is one of the best and most respectful questions you could ever ask. You know what Philip could have said to this man, this, this man who didn't have a clue what the Bible was? He could have said, I've got all the answers. I know everything about what you're reading. But he didn't. He didn't come in as a know-it-all. What he did was he said, in, in, a, in just a very gracious way, do you understand what you're re- reading? He was listening to the question. And the man said in verse 31, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, there is another person in the text I mentioned, Ethiopian eunuch. He was a man of great responsibility, the secretary of the treasury of Ethiopia, very smart man, man of high responsibility, great influence over all of Ethiopia and and Egypt. And he was in charge of the treasury. And Candace would have been a name for a queen similar to like Pharaoh would be. In other words, Candace wasn't her name, but it was a title So he was with the queen, and he handled her treasury, lots of resources, lots of ability in this man, and he oversaw that. He was obviously a searching man. He came to Jerusalem to worship worship at the temple. He was looking for something. He was obviously not Jewish, and many scholars feel like that um, not only was he not Jewish, but being from Ethiopia, that he was perhaps in not only traveling many, many, many miles, but he was in search of of this gospel that he had heard about, this God that he had heard about, and and he was searching and perhaps came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And we know he did here in just a little bit. Great authority. You know, he had been at the temple. The court of the Gentiles was the was the outermost courtyard, and it was the only place non-Jews could go. So that would have been where he would have gone. And he had the book of Isaiah because in the outer courtyard, you could buy certain um, pieces of the Old Testament. And so he would have been actually reading what he had purchased while he was at the temple. And so here's this um, African man standing in the Jewish temple. It must have made him feel very out of place. He was a eunuch, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but it meant that he was castrated before puberty, and he had a higher position. And and if you don't know what that means, just ask somebody later. I'm not going to give you that lesson here this morning, Um, but just ask, and you'll understand. Somebody will will share that with you. Um, But in, in this situation, because he was with the queen, because he was a eunuch, he would be less of a threat to the king. He would be less of a threat with the queen, but he'd also be less of a threat because he would never have any children. And because he would never have any children, they would never try to overthrow the king because they were close. I hope that makes sense. And so where does he fit? Here is this person that must feel very out of place. He comes to the temple, doesn't look like everybody else. In fact, as a eunuch, his hair would have been a different color. You would have been able to tell on the outside, even, even through his eyes and some other physical traits, you would have been able to tell that he was a eunuch. There's something different about this guy. 
And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt out of place in, in God's church? Do you know that there are people, and I, I praise God you're here this morning, but do you know there are people as I, I travel that, that I meet that tell me I would never step foot in a church because I'd be afraid that God would just zap me right there. I'm just not good enough to go to church. I'm just not good enough to show up there. Or I'm just not going to go to church because I don't know where I fit in, and I'm not sure that people will accept me. And I, and I just pray that this always, grace always be a place of receiving every single person, the vulnerable, the hurting, the broken, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. You know, this, uh, this eunuch might have been reading Isaiah 56, 3 to 5. No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude him from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Can you imagine being someone who could never have children and you read in God's word, you know what? I've got a place for you in my family. You're not alone. You are not alone. And welcoming you into his family. And I want you to know when I came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and confessed my sins and I, and I knew that I was broken, lost, sinner and that I didn't deserve God's grace. It was amazing grace then. And even when I wake up this morning, every single morning when I wake up, I know that I don't deserve his grace. But I praise God that it's been given to me and lavished on me without my merit, without my ability, without my perfection. I have a God who forgave me and welcomed me into his eternal family. As I bow the knee to Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord, oh, what a beautiful picture of the gospel. The third thing, and by the way, we'll bring this in for a landing. It won't continue on and on. Know, know the key truths of the, of the gospel. Look at verses 32 to 35. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. And his humiliation... Justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And then eunuch, the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet, prophet talking and saying this about? Himself or someone else? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. He knew the word of God well enough that he took from, from that scripture and he said, let me, let me tell you, I can't wait to tell you. You know, every one of us are messengers of the gospel. And here's a person who was asking, so who is this? It might seem really simple to you that what Jesus did, that he came and lived a perfect life and that he died for your sin, and that he rose from the dead. That may seem very simple to you, but many there are many who have never heard the gospel. And you and I need to be able to share it. It says in 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Know the truth about God and his word. Know that he is perfect, Jesus Christ perfect, without sin. 
know the truth about mankind and sin, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Know the truth about Jesus Christ and, and not only his life, but his resurrection, giving his life on the cross, his resurrection, and then the truth about the response to the gospel. In that, we, we just need to remember to, to know those key truths. And then finally, finally, we need to be those who are removing barriers to the gospel. We live in a culture with an epidemic of loneliness. A lot like Jerry, uh, people are hurting. They want to be seen and feel very alone. In fact, the, the largest study ever was the Alameda County study headed by a Harvard scientist, and it tracked 7,000 people over nine years, their lives. And here's what they found. The most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. Loneliness will kill. Loneliness not only makes us feel uh, just very, very, uh, just discouraged, but it literally will take physical years off of our lives, is what they found. And they found that people who had bad health habits like smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, but they had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, church... This may be the only thing you remember all day. It's better to eat ice cream with good friends than to eat kale alone. It's, be- it's just better. My wife likes kale, so I, I just, she, I'll eat it, you know, I won't eat it, but I'll sit there and watch her eat it. Um, but you know, isolation just kills and destroys, it hurts. And with that, we need to remember that God wants to connect us with people around us and remove barriers for the gospel. Look at verses 36 to 40. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? Now, I want you to notice in the text, he's saying, what would keep me from being baptized? I don't, I don't, I don't want you to miss that. He's saying, what about me? Can I be baptized? I'm now a follower of Jesus Christ. Can I be baptized? No doubt Philip had said baptism is a picture of the death of Christ when you go under the water. It's a picture of the resurrection when you come up out of the water. And he gave him that that beautiful picture that every believer in Christ ought to be baptized, not to earn their way into heaven, but to be a demonstration, a moving picture of the death and life and resurrection of Christ. And he says, what would keep me from being baptized? In other words, I'm, I'm not like any of you, he would maybe be saying, can I be baptized too? Can I fit? Can I belong? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. No baptism classes. (laughs) Nothing against baptism classes. But he was just obedient, and they did it, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, it says in verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. It's kind of like a, like a Star Trek moment there, isn't it? He just carried him away. So the Spirit carries him away, and the, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, and he went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling. Uh, as he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That's an amazing picture of obedience. And Philip, he's invited into this guy's chariot, shares the gospel with him. The man comes to a saving faith in Christ. 
I was invited to a man's table to have dinner with him or lunch with him. You and I are invited into people's lives all the time. God gives us opportunity. Do you know, I I remember a youth pastor that I hired one time in a church I pastored, and this guy was such a loving guy, such a gracious guy. One day, the, uh, the woman who worked over the counter at the post office came to our church and brought her husband. And I was like, I, I know you from the post office. How did you end up here? I wanted to hear her story. And she said, your youth pastor, when he comes in, because he moved into town and he didn't have a place to get his mail, so he had to go there and pick it up every day, she said, he is the kindest person I've ever met. And I wanted to come to the church where he attended because I wanted to know why people were, I mean, where, where are people like that? Her and her husband came to a saving faith in Christ. She brought her daughter and her daughter's family. They came to faith in Christ. You see, the, and it's amazing that what kindness and just taking a moment with people that God brings into your life will give you opportunities to share and to do. Well, I'm going to just four quick things as we close. Really quick. Where do I start? Where do you start? See others the way God sees them. And then be available and live with margin in your day. Live with margin in your day. And then share what God has done, not, not just telling other people what to do. Does that make sense? It's not just you got to get your act together. It's you don't have your act together, neither do I. That's why we need a Savior. And isn't it wonderful that we get to walk with Christ and have him change us from the inside out? And then finally, pray for opportunities. I um, spent a lot of time coaching our, our kids when they were little, girls in softball, boys in Little League. And I remember one particular little guy on our uh, baseball team, when our boys, one of our sons was pr- really pretty little. This guy's name was Luke. And Luke did not want to play. But if you know Little League rules, you know everybody has to play an inning and hit once, right? If you know anything about Little League or softball or whatever, when you're little, everybody's got to play. And Luke said, I don't need to play. And I said, Luke, if you don't play, we're going to forfeit. And he said, that's all right. I'm good with that. And I said, no, no, Luke, you don't get it. We, we just, I can't just tell everybody else on the team we're going to forfeit. You need to play. And he said, no, I'm good. I'm just not going to play. And I said, aren't those your parents right over there, like behind the fence? And he said, yeah, they're good. They don't need me to play. Uh, somebody had signed them up. I'm not sure who signed them up. But, and I said, aren't those your grandparents right there too, right with your parents? Don't they want to see you play? They just drove in from another town. And he's like, no, nah, they're good too. Um, and I said, Luke, you got it. You got to play. So I found him a helmet, found him a bat, and I said, I'll walk up there with you. And, it, and I remember walking up there with Luke, and he's standing at the plate like this, just, you know, not, he's not going to swing. There's no way. And uh, I'm just standing over there going, Luke, you got this. You got this. Uh, the guy threw three pitches. The umpire was gracious enough to say, strike one, strike two, strike three. And then Luke just, whoa, he took off and went to the dugout. He was so glad he was done. And I followed him into the dugout after he struck out. And I followed him in and I said, Luke. People thought I was like, why did you strike out? But I wasn't. I was saying, Luke, I am so proud of you. 
so proud of you. You got up there and you did something that you were absolutely terrified to do. I'm so proud of you, Luke. Way to go, man. And by the end of the year, you know what? Um, Not only did he play, he was still a horrible baseball player, but by the end of the year, this little guy was ready to go in and do whatever he needed to do. And I just want you to know, as a church family, you're thinking, hey, that's great. This sermon is great for a pastor. This sermon is great for a missionary. This sermon is great for an elder. This sermon is great for Sunday school teacher, whatever. This message is for you and me, every single one of us. God will bring people into your life that only you can reach. And you have an opportunity to speak truth into their life, to minister to them, to love them, and and to see them. Oh, what a gracious gift it is that God gives us. I pray this church will explode with evangelistic growth, that there will be families that, that their eternity is going to be completely changed, and that the days ahead for you are exciting together because God is present and that he is moving and he is at work in your hearts and in your lives and in this church. And I, and I, I want to pray as a close. Father, I thank you for these dear people. I thank you for this church family. I want to thank you for the gospel. And I praise you, Lord, that you are at work in this place to bring glory to your name. And that when we're all done on this earth and it's a whole new group of people that are sitting here, and our time is up because whether we're six months or 95 today, it's just a few more pieces of sand in the hourglass, and it goes by so quickly. And Lord, when that time is up, I pray that we have been faithful to the call of the gospel and that we have lived in the flow of the gospel, been obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen.